I know our kids are already making their way out of the building, but we'll remind our children that Children's Church is beginning. It is for grades little, we'll just say that, pre-K all the way to second grade. Encourage you to head that way for a fun time. We are going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 24. And as we look at Ezekiel chapter 24, we're going to be reading verses 15 through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 27. Again, we are going to be in Ezekiel 24, looking at verses 15 through 27. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to let our kids clear out here just a second. That It is so wonderful to see that many kids going out the door. We will never mind if your kids go, if your kids stay, if your kids make noise, if your kids don't make noise. We love them. We are glad they are here and we want them here. Amen to that. With that, the word of God says this. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I am about to take from you the desire of your eyes with one blow. But you shall not mourn and you shall not weep and your tears shall not come. Groan silently and make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put on your shoes on your feet and do not cover your mustache and do not eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning. I did as I was commanded. Tell us what these things that you are doing mean for us. The word of the Lord came to me saying, speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am about to profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the desire of your eyes and the delight of your soul and your sons and your daughters whom you have left behind will fall by the sword. You will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache and you will not eat the bread of men. Your turbans will be put on your head and your shoes on your feet. You will not mourn and you will not weep, but you will rot away in your iniquities and you will groan to one another. Thus, Ezekiel will be assigned to you according to all that has been done. You will do when it comes. Then you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man. Will it not be on that day when I take from them their stronghold, the joy of their pride, the desire of their eyes and their heart's delight, that their sons and their daughters, that on that day he who escapes will come to you with information for your ears. On that day your mouth will be opened to him who escaped and you will speak and be made mute no longer. Thus you will be a sign to them and they will know that I am the Lord. Please be seated. A biographer writing about C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying this. It takes courage to live through suffering, but it takes honesty to observe it. When the man wrote, when the biographer wrote these words, he was referencing one of C.S. Lewis's works called A Grief Observed. In this book, C.S. Lewis wrote about the loss of his wife and what it was like to go through grief and how to maintain and, and begin to wrestle with God in grief in order to get through grief and still believe. The biographer reminds the reader that suffering, whether it is due to grief of a lost loved one or some other pain in life, is hard. And it takes courage to endure grief and to endure suffering. But to talk about it, to 
notice it and to think about it, to ponder it and to communicate grief requires being open and honest about the pain, but also the hope that you will endure. In our passage today, Ezekiel receives the worst news that anyone could possibly hear. His wife, what the Lord calls the desire of his eyes, is going to die. And in the midst of the heartache and the sorrow that Ezekiel is about to face, he must also give a message to Israel about heartache and suffering, but also hope for a future. We are reminded first in this passage that suffering is just a part of life. As we look at this passage, we will begin to recognize that, that um, there are two groups here, essentially, that are going to suffer. The first one is the individual, Ezekiel. He is going to go through a, a season of sorrow and suffering. But also with that, he is telling them that he's warning Ezekiel. He's saying, listen, you are about to lose your wife. You are about to go through a season and a time of mourning and sorrow. But also will all the rest of Israel. Because of what is going to happen to the temple and to Jerusalem. The first suffering, the suffering of Ezekiel, is a suffering due to just living in a fallen world. When Ezekiel learns that he is about to lose his wife in this passage, that you are going to lose the desire of your eyes, that you are going to lose your wife, and it's going to be in one blow, that she is going to just suddenly pass away. Now, we have no idea. People try to understand this. Maybe she was sick and he was just telling her this is going to ultimately take her life. Or maybe she was perfectly healthy and then just woke up the next morning or went home that night and found his wife having passed. But either way, he is about to lose his wife in a sudden and unexpected way. Now, up to this point, we have been given no reason to believe that this sudden loss is the result of Ezekiel's faithlessness. Ezekiel, throughout the entire book of Ezekiel, has remained faithful to his call, remained faithful to his commission. He has walked with the Lord. He has had visions with the Lord. He has, get, he has, he has delivered the word of the Lord in, in horrible situations and in trying things, knowing full well that they would not believe him, that they would not receive him, that it would cause conflict in his life. And yet he has remained faithful to God. And yet still in this moment, he has, he has dealt this bitter blow. We are reminded by Ezekiel that loss, death, sorrow, suffering are a result of sin, but not necessarily the sin of the individual. Sometimes bad things happen to us and it is not because we did something wrong. Now, I want you to hear that again, because sometimes we really need that reminder. Sometimes bad things happen to us, and it is not necessarily because we did something wrong. It seems so often when we go through sorrow, when we have to suffer in life, and when we don't understand, we want to go to the Lord and say, what did I do? How did I mess up? What, is, what am I being punished for? And while... Sin is most certainly the result and the or suffering is most certainly the cause is caused by sin. I'll get it out, don't worry. 
Sometimes, sometimes we suffer, and we do need to acknowledge that sin is the reason for our suffering. It is not necessarily because we have done something and God is directly punishing us for that sin. Paul spoke of this in the New Testament as well. As Paul was writing to the church in Rome, he says these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For this anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now let me explain what he's saying in this passage. What he is communicating to the church in Rome is that all of creation has been corrupted because of the sin of Adam. And that even creation longs to be set free by the return of Jesus Christ. We have to remember as we go through life, especially if you are a child of God, if you have placed your hope and trust in God and you are part of the kingdom of God, please understand, as you live as a member and as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we still have to go through a fallen and corrupted world. And to be honest, we have to do so in still fallen and corrupted bodies. And in light of this reality, we will suffer. We will experience loss. We will experience sorrow. Things will go wrong. And while sometimes it is the direct result of our sin, sometimes it's not. And we have to just acknowledge that there are things that happen to us every day that are the results of the curse that God declared to Adam and to Eve in Genesis 3. But what we read from Paul's letter to Rome is that there will come a day where this world and the sin and the suffering, the pain and the loss that we experience in this world will pass away. And we have hope that there will come a time where we will be set free from sin and pain and suffering and loss. But I want you to also notice there is a second kind of suffering that we see in our passage today. And this suffering is seen in God's words to the nation of Israel. Unlike Ezekiel, their suffering is the direct result of their own sin and unwillingness to repent. And I want you to notice that. That what is happening to Israel is not just because they've sinned. It certainly is because they've sinned. But because they have sinned and were unwilling to repent and to change. They had been warned. They had been warned by Ezekiel. We are in the 24th chapter of this book which means we have had 24 chapters of Ezekiel telling them, you need to repent or bad things are going to happen. And that's just here. During this exact same time and moment in history, we could go back to Jerusalem and back to Ju Judah. And there would be a prophet named Jeremiah who is literally saying the exact same things. 
and pointing out their sin and their idolatry. And yet, whether they were listening to Jeremiah or they were listening to Ezekiel throughout this whole time, even going back to the days of like the prophet Isaiah, before all of this stuff had gone down, during this whole time we find that, it, that Israel continues on in their sin, in their idolatry, in their lawlessness, refusing to repent and turn to the Lord alone. We talked about pride in Sunday school this morning. And we talked about how can, can pride exist even when things, when things are, seem to be going wrong all around you. And we said, yeah, pride, when that happens, comes off as arrogance an unwillingness to admit that we are wrong and make a change. And what we are seeing is literally decades, you know, generations of people living in not only Judah and in the northern and the southern kingdom, but also now in exile who are unwilling to admit that they are in fact sinners that need to repent. It's ironic, really, because as we see Ezekiel doing what he's doing, he's found out that his wife is going to pass. He gets up that morning, he still goes and proclaims the need for repentance to the, the exiles of Judah in the kingdom of Babylon. And when he comes home that evening, his wife passes. And it says that the next morning he got up, he got dressed just like normal, he looked just like he did every other day and he went out and he, he went to the same place that he did normally and he began to proclaim. And they all went, whoa, 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 Ezekiel, didn't your wife pass away yesterday? I mean, not to be rude, but we all thought we were going to get a break from you as you kind of worked on that. And there's a reason for that. Because there was a, a certain thing that went with losing your a loved one in Jewish culture that, that meant that what Ezekiel was doing was extremely out of order. See, in Jewish culture, to mourn the loss of someone was considered a community event. It was something that not only affected the individuals of the home, but it affected their neighbors and their loved ones and even just random people in the community. They would have expected... Ezekiel at this time to tear his clothes and walk around with tore and, and disheveled clothes. They would have expected him to remove his shoes and his turban, um, his, whatever was covering his head. It would have been expected for him to cut his beard, shave his head. I'm not mourning. And to cut all of their hair, which was a sign of, of their covenant um, relationship with God. They would shave all of that. They would cover themselves in dirt and ashes. They would fast eating only bread that was provided for them by their neighbors that was called mourner's bread. They would have been a sight to see. And not only the, the, the Ezekiel, but his family and, and even hired professional mourners would gather together to, to cry, amen, to cry and to show sorrow so that the whole community would know that a loss of a loved one had happened and that a loss of a loved one had happened and that um, everybody should, should support him and encourage him during this loss. And yet Ezekiel had to forego all of this leaving only his time to mourn the loss of his wife be done in private. They saw this stark difference between what they expected and what they were actually seeing, and they said, wait a minute, what does this have to do with us? 
because they knew something like this that Ezekiel was doing, something this out of the ordinary meant he was trying to communicate a point, and, he was, and they were right. It may speak to their own selfishness and their own arrogance that they assumed that since he was acting this way, it clearly had something to do with them, and yet in this way they are right. God goes on to tell, to tell Israel that due to the rebellion and their unwillingness to repent, that they were about to see Jerusalem fall that the temple would be desecrated and destroyed, that their relatives that remained in Judah would be killed by the sword and that very few would remain, and that those that would, rem that would remain would be ultimately carried off to Babylon in exile. Just like Ezekiel, they would have to mourn in silence for fear that their sorrow and their mourning would be viewed as sedition that the people were, were planning a rebellion and that the armies of Babylon might actually march in to the exile camps and begin to kill those to crush their spirit. Unlike Ezekiel, they would know that their sin, that their rebellion, and that their unwillingness to repent was the result of all that was about to happen to them. Jeremiah talked about this sin and he communicated it also to the people that were in Judah and he said these words in Jeremiah chapter 16 for my eyes are on all their ways that they are not hidden from my face nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes I will first doubly repay, repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land that they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable idols and with their abominations See, what was about to happen in Judah and what was about to happen to the temple was, was very clearly declared to be a result of their sin. And as we said, both Ezekiel is warning them and Jeremiah is warning them. And what happens at the heart of all this is no matter what was going on, Judah and even the exiles that were current in Babylon, they thought as long as the temple stands, no one can touch us that no matter who, the, how big Nebuchadnezzar is or anybody that comes after him, no matter what happens, we're good. And as long as the temple stands, we can look at that temple and say, we have nothing to worry about. They weren't worshiping God. They weren't trusting God. They were even to the point now that they were worshiping other gods within the temple complex. We read that earlier in Ezekiel. They had almost completely abandoned and forsaken God outside of just lip service and a few hollow traditions. And yet they looked at the temple as the proof of how great of a people they were. It was their pride. It was the symbol of, of their arrogance. And so God says, very well, I will take that too. Suffering is most certainly a part of life. Sometimes we suffer simply because we, simply because we live in a fallen world among sinful people. And sometimes we suffer because our hearts are in rebellion towards God and we are reaping the natural consequences of our life. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We must seek the Lord's face to know which is which. As we go through sufferings in life, we have to be quick to go to the Lord and say, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. I want to know. And sometimes as we seek the Lord, we will get a clear reminder of our need to repent. And if that is the case, then I implore you, do so without delay. Recognize your sin. Take it to the Lord. 
pray and repent. Go to those who you may have wronged and, and ask for forgiveness. Pay whatever restitution you have to pay to make it right. Do everything you can to show your sincerity to the Lord over your sorrow for sin. Sometimes we recognize that this is life. And life comes with suffering. And then seek hope in knowing that God is doing something in the midst of suffering. That's the second thing I want you to understand from our passage today, that even in the midst of suffering, there is often good news that God is moving. Now, as we look at this passage, you might be saying, okay, preacher, hang on a second. I read this, and there ain't no good news in here. This is bad news on top of bad news on top of bad news, and I don't see any good news in this at all. And I want you to notice two things as we look at this passage and as we understand the character and the nature of God. And the first thing is this, that we have hope that God will be with us through the suffering. And while that is not explicitly said in our passage, it is still very much so present in the passage. It is important to note that even though God is delivering this final judgment towards Israel, that, that he still does not leave them or forsake them throughout the entire book. Even this, we look at and we recognize that this is chapter 4, and yet there are still over a dozen more chapters in this book. So even though God is declaring this huge final judgment in the life of Israel, he doesn't say, and I'm done. This is not a mic drop for God. He still has more to say. And throughout this entire passage, no matter what has happened in the passage, in all the chapters that we have read prior to this, throughout all of this, God does not leave, nor does he abandon the people of Israel. In fact, the whole first part of the book is telling the exiles, just because you are in exile does not mean that I've abandoned you. Yes, we will go through suffering in life. And yes, we will have periods of sorrow and hardship. There will be times in our life where we have no idea what the Lord is doing. And life is just going to be hard and stink. But I want you to understand that even in those dark times, the Lord has not abandoned you. Look at verse 24. We see this. Thus Ezekiel will be assigned to you according to all that he has done and that you will do when it comes that you will know that I am the Lord God. See, even in the midst of all of this, God is telling the people, look at what's happening and recognize that I am God, that I am sovereign, that I am control of all of these things, and that I am trying to bring you back into this right relationship with me. No matter the suffering, whether a direct result of sin or we're living in a fallen world, God does not give up on Israel. He does not abandon them. In fact, his hope is that they will see him and trust him. And I want you to understand this, guys. This is true for us today. If indeed we are in Christ, we are going to go through hardships. Jesus even tells us this. In the world, you will have suffering. He tells us, I want you to understand this. Christianity and Christ never once promises those who place their hope and trust in Jesus that everything's going to be gravy. That it is all going to be good and now you'll never have any problems and God's going to take total care of you and you're just going to be able to live in comfort and be good to go the rest of your life. Not once does he promise that. 
In fact, to inherently follow after Jesus means to follow him in his suffering. He tells us this. He warns us this. Peter even goes on to say, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you find yourself in. But in the midst of all of this, and in the beginning, at the end of the Great Commission and all that God has called us to do, he says this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews writes to the Jewish Christians in in chapter 13, verse 5 of Hebrews, and he says, And he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. If you find yourself suffering in this life, if you are feeling pain and sorrow as we live under the sun, have courage that God is near, and that if you cry out to him, that he will be with you. There's one more thing I want you to notice about suffering in our passage today. Is that we can have a hope that God will use our suffering for his glory. When God is reminding Israel that he is the Lord God, one of the things that he is telling them is that they are going to go through suffering, that indeed God is using suffering to draw his people closer to him. Did you know God does that? I want you to realize this, that that's how stubborn we are. This is not because God is mean. This is because we are stubborn. And that we will fight against drawing near to God, depending on God, trusting in God. We will fight against that until it is so unpleasant in the course that we are going that we'd finally are open to another course of action. Has anybody ever been that stubborn before? I've received many swats on the butt in my lifetime because I was too stubborn to listen to my mom and dad until my dad made my stubbornness so uncomfortable on the hindquarters that I decided to change course. Back in the day, we called those attitude adjustments. And I'm not advocating attitude adjustments today, but let's just say my attitude has been adjusted more times than a chiropractor does to other people in a day. We're stubborn people. And sometimes we have to go through hardship and suffering just so that we will finally come to our senses and realize that a change is necessary. The prophet Zechariah actually spoke about this and explained it using an analogy. And he said this, And I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Remember, see the tie in there? You're going to go through all of this and so that you might know that I am the Lord God and that they will go through the, the, the silversmithing process, that they will be refined, that they will be tested until they cry out and they say the Lord is my God. God may very well bring us through f- the fire of suffering so that he might burn away our sin and the remnants of our flesh that remain. And he does so that we might draw closer to him and that we might be more like him. I heard the story told about a preacher who was even reading that passage from Zechariah 
And he said, you know, I don't really know anything about silversmithing or anything like that. I'm going to go and, and, and meet with a silversmith and, and learn about how it happens. And so he went and he met with a silversmith and he said, I want you to tell me about the process. And he goes, okay, well, first things we get, we get this, the, these uh, materials in and they've got silver in them, but they've got a lot of impurities in them. He's like, okay. He goes, and we put that all into a container and then we put that in the kiln. And as we put that in the kiln, all of the impurities begin to burn away, leaving only the silver left. And as I do it, I'll turn it up a, a little heat, and that will start to remove some of the bad stuff. And I'll pull it out, and I'll scrape away that bad stuff. And then I'll put it back in, and I'll turn up the heat a little bit more. And that will start to burn away some of the other bad stuff. And I'll pull it out, and I'll scrape away that bad stuff. And then I'll put it in again, and I'll turn the heat up even more. And it starts to burn away more of that impurities. And I pull it out, and I scrape off the top. And he goes, but when do you know you're done? And the silversmith said, oh, that's easy. When I pull it out, and I look down into the container and I can see myself that's when I know that the silver has been made pure often we go in our life and we experience suffering and we experience hardship and we go through the fires and we are being refined and God is removing the impurities of our life the sin and the idols and the things in our life that don't look like God and he keeps turning up the fire and he keeps putting us through the refining furnace until eventually he looks at us and he sees himself. It should not be a surprise to us that we might believe that God is doing something good through suffering. If anything, it should not be a surprise to us because the one that we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, went through such suffering in order to redeem a people for himself. We even call the day that Christ suffered and died on the cross Good Friday. And brothers and sisters, if God could do something good through the crucifixion, rest assured that he can and that he is doing something good in your life when you are suffering. In the end of the passage, Ezekiel is told that when the destruction is complete and that Jerusalem is finally destroyed, that there will come a, a person that will follow after. And he, there'll be a, literally a fugitive. There'll be a, someone who escapes the onslaught and he will find his way into Babylon and he will find his way to this camp and on that day, it says that for the first time in a long time, Ezekiel's tongue will be loosened. Now, you may not remember this, but we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Ezekiel. And God told Ezekiel, you will not be able to speak unless I put the words in your mouth. So Ezekiel, for all we know, has gone years where he has not been able to speak freely. And the only time he gets to use his words is when he goes to the people to prophesy. Now imagine his wife. He goes out, and the only time she gets to hear him talk is when he is proclaiming judgment to Israel. When he comes home, he can't talk at all. Some of you wives think that would be a blessing. Some of you might miss it after a while. Maybe all of you wives would think of it as a blessing now. But now that his wife is gone and the destruction of Jerusalem is complete, he says that now, 
I will set your mouth free. And you'll be able to speak freely and talk like you want to talk. We see this in verse 27. There's more to this than just the fact that Ezekiel is now going to be able to speak outside of prophecy. But the message represents the end of God's judgment prophecies against Israel. This is it. And what we're going to see as we move on in the book of Ezekiel, that no longer is God going to be prophesying judgment against Israel, but first he's going to begin to prophesy judgment against the nations that surround Israel and those that have worked to, to, to bring Jerusalem and to bring Israel to this current state. And then he's going to go on and address those that are in Israel that have led to this situation. But never again is he going to judge Israel as a whole, but rather... He is going to begin to proclaim forgiveness and restoration and a renewed relationship with the Lord. This is it. And now God is going to begin to proclaim to them of a hope and a future and a renewed relationship with the Lord. Good news is coming. And we can take confidence even today as we go through suffering as we go through trying times, as we find ourselves in sorrow, we can have the courage and the hope to get up, to take that next step, to live that next day, to carry on, because with every period of sorrow, there is good news waiting at the end. To give you a taste of that good news, I want to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 34. And it says this, that God will declare as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on that cloudy and gloomy day. Whatever suffering you are experiencing today. Please understand that God has not abandoned you and that God is doing good things through even your suffering. And one of the greatest things that can happen as we go through suffering is it can point us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We might quote the scripture that says that Romans 28, 28 says that God causes all things to work together for good. But then we have to remember what happens after that. It says for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, that promise that all things work together for good is attached to the reality for those who have a relationship with God. So if you want to be a partaker in this promise, you have to first place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now the passage does not say if you place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that all will be good. What it does say is that when you place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, when you begin become a follower of Jesus to know him and to know his ways, that you will begin to see how God works all things together for his kingdom and for his glory. And I really, truly believe that through that you will have peace. If you are with us today and you have never placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. The Bible communicates to us that first God, that we obviously believe that there is a God and that that God made everything on purpose with a purpose. That everybody in this room, God created and there was a design to your creation and there was a reason for why you breathe air and you exist. 
but we have taken God's purposes and we have cast those aside to, to create our own purpose and our own design. And when we do that, that's called sin. And just like if I try to use an iPad as a Frisbee, which is not what it was intended for, if I did that, it would break. And when we go to create our own purpose and our own meaning in life, we also find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And brokenness is that feeling, it's that knowledge that you're not who you're supposed to be. That you're not where you're supposed to be. That you feel out of place and out of sorts. When you feel deep down in your soul, in your heart, that something is wrong in your life. That's brokenness. And that's the brokenness that comes from sin. And we do a thousand things to hide it. We pour all of our, our time and energy into friends or into family. We use things like drugs and alcohol or jet skis and, and four by fours to cover and hide and mask and, and do all these things for our brokenness, but we know it's still there. Because the only way that we can fix our brokenness is something outside of our brokenness. And that something is called the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for our brokenness so that he might deliver us from our brokenness. And so Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave three days later. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. And what that means is first we have to believe that Jesus really is who he said he is that he was the son of God who put on flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the grave three days later. We have to believe that with all our hearts, and then we have to confess him as Lord, which means we turn away from sin and turn away from the things that got us to that place of brokenness and begin to follow him. And when we do that, we'll be able to start to recover and pursue God's purpose in our lives once again. If you've not done that today, I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to be standing right here up front. And whether during our time of invitation or even after our time of invitation, you'd like to talk about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I will be right there. And I would love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for this message. God, we thank you for the reminder that even though we have suffering in this world, that you are doing things through that suffering. And that suffering is not apart from your control and your purposes. And that, God, that, that we can trust you and have faith in you and walk with you even in the midst of suffering. And that you will make good things happen from it. So, Father God, I pray that if we are here today and we are suffering as a result of our own sin, Lord, that we would repent. Lord, for some of us today, that means repenting for the very first time, placing our hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and turning to you in saving faith. God, for some of us, it is those sins in our lives that even though we have made you our Lord and Savior, we are having a hard time turning away from certain sins. And God, I pray no matter what the situation, that we would turn from our sin and place our hope in you. God, for some of us today, we are going through suffering, and, and, and it's not because of, of sins that we have necessarily done, but it is just the result of living in a sinful and fallen world. Father God, I pray that you would put your spirit upon us, that you would give us wisdom and discernment. God, that we would be, even for just a moment, able to see what you are doing through our suffering, and that our faith might be increased, 
and that we would place all our hope in you and in the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.